Hello, and welcome to another episode of Artbox. I'm your host, Jason. In this episode, I sit down with Michael Timothy Davis. Michael is a West Virginia native and graduate of Shepherd University, located in Shepherdstown, West Virginia. After earning his BFA in painting, he continued his studies at the Schuler School of Fine Art in Baltimore, Maryland, where he learned the skills and techniques associated with classical realistic painting. Michael, along with Emily Vaughn, started Badger Hound Studio and Gallery. So with that, sit back and relax and enjoy the interview. All right, well, Michael, thank you very much for sitting down with me and taking your time out, your painting that you were doing that I peeled you away from uh, in order to do this interview. So I'm going to run out of the gate here. So how did you get your start in painting and why? Wow. Um, yeah, it's a deep question. <laughs> Got started in painting. I did my first painting. I always tell this to Emily, my fiance, because her last name's Vaughn. So my uh, ninth grade painting teacher, art teacher, was the one that had me first do an oil painting. Her name was Mrs. Vaughn. <laughs> so, oh, wow. yeah. And I remember what it was, too. It was a uh, F-14 Tomcat taken off of an aircraft carrier. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, I found it in a magazine and copied it. So, yeah, that was the first time I did an oil painting. And, you know, my father was an art teacher for most of his teaching career. Then he switched to an English teacher. But that's the path I thought I was going to go on. I mean, I kind of thought I was going to just going to be an art teacher. And when I came into college, uh, that's what it was. I was in art education. And after the first semester, I just realized that uh, wasn't going to be painting much. You know, you take you take your core classes and then you're off into education classes. And I caught the bug. You know, I didn't really, you know, I didn't know what being an artist was in high school. You know, I knew that I loved to draw and I knew that I liked to paint. You know, I wasn't painting that much, but I always drew. And basically when I came to school, you know, it was like, this is what I want to do. Yeah, your eyes were paint. open. Yeah, totally. It was like, I don't know, it was like believable. You know, all of a sudden art became, you know, something instead of just something that I did. It was like, became a tangible thing. So, yeah, I, I guess for me, my experience is like one of my drawing classes that I took, uh, walking into the room full of this, this room full of easels and a platform that the models would stand on. And it was like, I got this chill down my back. Yeah. It was like, wow, this is it. This is this is what it is. Right. <laughs> I got quickly snapped out of that when the drawing teacher came up and he's like, all right, everyone, come on, let's go. <laughs> and uh, he proceeds to jump onto the platform and grabs a, a stick and just starts going, all right, draw me now. Draw me now. Like he would, every time he said now, he would change poses. So everyone, luckily I'd had some experience drawing before, but uh, some of these poor kids were just struggling and they were just freaking out. But it was like, man, this is it. I'm in it. I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah. I'm doing it. It becomes a thing. It's no longer, like, I don't, you know, I think about this a lot. Like when I was younger and I still do that. I mean, I think that's why I'm able to do what I do. I've like, I learned from my dad that, you know, art was a job, you know, and that's kind of how I thought of it. Like when I was in high school, I was like, well, art is going, you know, I'm going to teach art. It's a logical step. It's going to be my job. And so being an artist didn't really mean anything until I came to school. And like, I, you know, just like you, you have this realization that, wait a second, there's another dimension to being an artist. Yeah, there is. And so I don't know if it took me being independent, like moving away from my dad to be like, you know, I think I can do this other thing. Yeah. It's, you know, it's the same thing. I still have a work ethic like that. But, you know, yeah, it's definitely it's like a little mental switch that happens. Yeah, I, I want to kind of build on that to the fact that you got to have a work ethic, you know. Oh, yeah, totally. So uh, I would also like to ask, what kind of subject matters are you drawn to and or you find yourself doing them and why? Yeah. Uh, well, 
this kind of goes back, you know, to what we just touched on. Um, I have my bread and butter paintings, you know, still life paintings, portrait commissions, uh, animal, you know, pet commissions. Uh, that's, you know, like I said, it's the bread and butter that pays the bills. Then, you know, I have what I like to paint and I like doing figurative work. I like doing large figurative paintings. Um, luckily, uh, you know, I like to paint in general. And so, you know, doing the bread and butter paintings isn't, you know, it's not that much of a task, but, no, but everybody's got their creative juices and I get antsy if, you know, I've only been doing still life and commission work for a while and yep. I got to kind of, you know, let go for a bit. Yeah, I can so, relate to that. Yeah. So I let, you know, I just did a piece that's down at the Juliet Museum in Charleston, West Virginia for a competition, a statewide competition. They asked all these West Virginia artists to submit pieces, and then uh, they chose three finalists. I just got word the other day that I was one of the finalists. Oh, knock on wood. Hope you knock win. On and then, uh, yeah, so then they choose, you know, the winner. It's a purchase prize, so the gallery owns it, um, or the museum buys it. But it's a large uh, figurative piece with a landscape, and it was the most fulfilling painting that I've done in a while because it was from conception to completion, like what I kind of consider like a piece of art, you hmm. know, that I, that I did. <laughs> so, uh, that kind of wanted me to bring up the other question too, is like, how long would it take you to do something like this painting? You know, there's never, there's the, you know, the stock answer you give everybody that, you know, yeah. when it's done, you know, you start a painting but all honesty, like a lot of times. Well, I'm I'm asking like from concept. Yeah, that one. You know, it was like a I was in like a you know fever mode. The concept had been bouncing around my mind for a while. Yeah. You know, probably about a year, and I just never had any you know time to put it together. Uh, and then when they asked me to be in this competition, I was like, it fit perfectly. My concept kind of fit perfectly with the what I wanted you know kind of do with this competition. So. But I only had about a month to really devote all my time to it. So from doing sketches to getting the model in here, doing sketches, uh, and then the painting was probably three to four weeks. But that's also... Is that including dry time? I'm just curious. Yeah. Um, well, the medium I use dries quickly. Oh, okay. So... Uh, you know, it's designed to dry quickly. It's called the marriage. I can give you a whole rundown of like my materials. I went to a very classical I was gonna say, art yeah. school, and they taught a uh, basically a 17th century Dutch style of painting with that, techniques. Very rare. I don't meet that many people who who use that. Yeah. <laughs> so. And so the medium's called the marriage like medium. The yeah, I was gonna say you're like the third person. So. <laughs> but it dries. Um, you know, dry, your oils will dry overnight. And so you can paint like I do. I use lots of glazes and work on it every day. You have to be strategic, though, because especially on a large painting, it'll start setting up. So you can't, like, fuss in one area. You kind of have to, like, learn how to move with the medium. Right, like left to right, up and down, or down yeah, and up, exactly. left and right. But, yeah, so, you know, I was able to, you know, work on it every day. And actually, the painting was two feet by four feet, and the actual painting took... Like once I started on it, about right. two weeks. Oh. And that was working, you know, 10 to 12 hours a day on the painting. So it basically, yeah, it's like you just got so focused that, you know, did you look out the door and realize, oh, man, it's totally. night. And it's like, I should probably like, go home. <laughs> yeah, five hours go by like that. 
seriously. Like I come in, you know, I usually get in the studio between eight and nine and I usually start working. I putz around for a little bit and then, uh, yeah, you start working and all of a sudden it's like three o'clock and you're like, I need to eat something. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. No, I know what you mean. Yeah. You get so focused. Um, like editing this show, uh, I'll, find myself you know it's almost midnight and it's like yeah. oh I probably should go to bed <laughs> yeah. but you know paintings like so the one I'm working on the still life in there yeah you know, I've been picking at that for you know three weeks now and it's a piece that I should have had done in a week but I've, you know it's been kind of like stopping and starting I've had to like do this do that so yeah like you had to stop so you can do the interview yeah. so <laughs> usually my best pieces the ones that I like the most the ones that I think are the most successful are when I have uninterrupted time, like no students, because I teach a lot, and I literally like just dive into it, and that's all I do for like two or three weeks, and those are always the best pieces, and it's you know they're always really complicated, and so you know hour wise it's probably the same, but I jam them, you know I'll jam all those hours into you know a week. Yeah, <laughs> well you know you only have so many hours in a week. Yeah. yeah. So do you ever find yourself having to push a painting? And what I mean by that is by, you know, feeling rushed and, and cutting corners, or yes. do you not cut corners? No, I do, unfortunately. I mean, I wouldn't say cut corners, but there are definitely... Bend the rules, maybe? Not bend the rules, but I mean, it's like, I wish I had more time because I would do this. And so it's just like, you know, my philosophy with painting is that at almost every stage, it could be considered a completed painting from like concept drawing to painting, you know, underpainting, all of that, that could be a completed piece. Um, and so, yeah, I can stop. A lot of times it's like, man, I really, you know, I want to do this. It's like an obsession sometimes, like the refining. Yeah. Um, I'm like, well, you know, I could sit here for another three or four days and do this, but I got this deadline. Yeah, the so, reality, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and, you know, when you're getting ready for a show, there's always those paintings that you're squeezing in at the last minute. <laughs> like the one you're working on in, in the yeah, studio. Exactly. So yeah. with with that part of the process, do you do do you do inner underpainting as well or do you go straight? It all depends. I have different approaches for different pieces. Okay. And so my concept is it's kind of like, you know, I I know how to do a complete and total grisaille and then do glazing on top of that. I know how to do an olive prima painting. I know how to take an olive prima painting and turn it into a very highly polished painting. I get to choose my weapon when I'm looking at my subject. Sometimes with a, especially a still life painting, if it's very complicated, I'll say, you know, I'm going to do a preliminary drawing, a transfer drawing or a cartoon, and then I'll transfer that. I'll do a full grisaille. And it's like the complexity of the composition, the complexity of the subject makes me want to be very complex in my process with it. Whereas if I have something a lot of times with a portrait, you know, unless it's like a commission portrait of a banker or something. Like that. <laughs> but, you know, a portrait, if I'm trying to like, if I really want to capture the energy, I just attack it. I just go mm. all the prima and yeah. then, you know, I can refine it as much as I want to. A lot of times I kind of like having starting that way and kind of have like a crescendo of detail. Yeah. So you leave it loose, you leave all the preliminary stuff, and then it kind of builds up to, you know, a finished piece. Like my self-portrait over there is like an example. So the He's bottom He's pointing to a, a painting that he done. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's unfinished at the bottom. And that's like, you know, that probably spent, I think I did an underpainting and then that was just one layer of color on top of it. And so it was, you know, two sittings because I let yeah. the underpaintings uh, dry. You know, it kind of has that feel. It's almost like watching a firework go up in the sky. 
And I like that. It's nice. a nice analogy. Yeah, my and my favorite piece of art of all time are Michelangelo's Dying Slaves. Mm-hmm. Those unfinished sculptures uh, that he did for, I guess it was probably Julius's tomb, Julius II's tomb. And I don't, you know, they always say they're unfinished, but I think, you know, that he stopped exactly when he wanted to. I like that organic feel, seeing yeah. the creation yeah. of it, and then the finish. I th- you know, I just I love that. Well, no, that's why I think that's a very uh, apt analogy using a firework because you see the little, red, uh, little like sparkle go up, and all of a sudden, pow! And I, I, and I also love that kind of aesthetic choice as well. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I don't know. I'm not going to debate with the historians if he intentionally did that or not. But <laughs> like you, I do. I like that look as well. Mm-hmm. It is a nice aesthetic to have, yeah. and um, I think that's pretty nice. So uh, we kind of touched on this earlier. Uh, I would like to ask this question kind of formally: Is what or who uh, influenced you in your painting and and even your drawing for that matter? Okay. Um, so I'll go through the lineage of my please do <laughs> inspirations so first and foremost was my dad you know like i said he was a art teacher and so when i was a kid i always used to draw and we would do this thing we would draw little battle scenes you know you know he would draw a tank i would draw a tank on the other side and we build up our armies and then we start attacking each other <laughs> and then it got to the point where i would like ask him to draw stuff i'd be like can you draw it was always army guys you know it was like can you draw an army guy like squatting down behind a wall doing this and he would draw it and i'd watch him draw and then i'd go and copy it. And then he had, you know, magazines, uh, you know, Frank Frazetta and Boris Vallejo. That's like right. what I started drawing early on. So, you know, that was kind of like my first inspiration. Uh, then when I got to college, because I went to Shepherd University. Yeah, give, give it a full shout out where you went to school. Yeah, it's, it's Shepherd fine. University. They, you know, it was a very modern program. And so it wasn't necessarily my cup of tea but they were very forgiving they let me kind of design my own program in terms of like you know doing drawings and all this so it was good i met this man named ben summerford who was the former art chair at american university in the phillips collection he actually Mm -hmm. wrote the introduction to the book about the phillips collection very good artist what i call like an american impressionist kind of came into his own in the 50s. Yeah. I think he uh, he went and studied at the Ecole de Beaux Arts in Paris on a... I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, now I, see, I learned something today. Yeah. So yeah, so he lived outside of town and so I would go, I think starting my junior year, I would go to his house on the weekends on Saturday and Sunday and paint with him in his studio. Again, completely different from how I painted, but it was the first time that I hung out with an artist that I admired, I guess. Right. And it was fun. Like the thing he taught me was how to talk about art because mm. every every lesson would start where we would just like he would have a book and he would want to talk about some paintings. And just listening to how he talked about paintings was like fascinating. So he really encouraged me. It was really a big influence through college. Uh, then when I went to Schuler's and Schuler. Uh, so I went to the Schuler School of Fine Art in Baltimore after I graduated from Shepherd, and that was where I kind of learned these techniques. They taught a 17th century Dutch style of painting, and so I was like walking into an old atelier, an old Dutch artist's atelier. Yeah, with 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 power plugs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and death clay. They yeah, had death clay because it was like the the oil clay was like over a hundred years old. Oh. <laughs> oh, we called it death clay. It's like wash your hands after death clay. Yeah, really. But yeah, so she, you know, she really again. This was the first time I met somebody who was a career artist. 
you know, like, you know, she had an atelier, she had a studio, but she made her living off of portrait art and selling her paintings. So those are probably the, you know, the three people that were direct influences on my art. Well, what about uh, this day and age? Now, yeah, um, what, would, what would you... Yeah, I mean, I like... There's a whole slew of realist artists that are good. And, you know, I've always said that, you know, we're in a renaissance right now in terms of the art world. I think that, you know, every art movement's a reaction to the previous art movement. Yeah, that is true. The only place we can go after the last 30 years is kind of like a big step back to appreciating a lot of the technical aspects of painting. And I think that's where we are. So there are some realists out there like Jacob Collins and David Kaysen, uh, Cesar Santos, guys like that. And some of the older ones, you know, David LaFell, yeah. uh, Richard Schmidt, uh, Daniel Green, who, you know, he was an influence on me because my dad had lots of his pastel books when I grew up. Well, there you go. But, you know, LaFell, his how-to book was my Bible at school because I wasn't learning painting techniques at Shepherd necessarily, and so I had his book. So they were kind of like the torchbearers for realism through the 60s and 70s and 80s. So those, you know, are probably who I carry with me. Right, past, present, and future, yeah. so to speak, as mm-hmm. now. Well, that's that's actually a, a good point to bring, that it does seem like realism is starting to creep back into the more... I, I don't know. I, I don't want to call it mainstream. I don't want to even call it high art, but uh, it does seem like it's showing up more and more. Oh, it is. I mean, one of the most prominent painters in the country right now is Kehinde Wiley. Yeah. He's straight up realism. Yeah. And when you go to the art fairs, you're, I'm starting to see more and more of realism yeah. than uh, a lot of this uh, abstract and post abstract. <clears throat> yeah. What they call it, the kind of classifying. So I think when it first started to come into the mainstream, probably about 15 years ago. 15, 20 years ago, it was considered, I think they call it, you know, it was classical realism. And then it came, became contemporary realism. Now there's like a little kind of offshoot and imaginary, imaginative realism. And that's where I think realism's going. So it kind of did the same thing. It went in through the, uh, it came in with like very academic art and now it's going into academic art plus like fantasy art. And I think that's probably the future of realism. I I agree with you. I, I do. There are a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of publications like, mm-hmm. you know, I Prucos is a great example that yeah, shows a lot exactly. of uh, that, that imaginary realism. Yeah. And um, even if it's a cartoonish style, the painting itself also feels masters old school oil painting totally, style. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I do agree with you that that is eventually kind of, that's where we're heading. Yeah. But it usually it takes a while for commercial galleries to kind of catch up to that. Yeah. There's a organization, a competition that I enter every year. It's the ARC. Oh, oh right. Can I do that? Yeah, no, um, well, it's fact. <laughs> you fact that um, you did enter. Yeah, yeah. it's fine. Um, the Art Renewal Center. And, you know, they're one of the leading proponents of realism, contemporary classical realism, and probably the most inspiring and beautiful art is in their imaginative realism category. I think that's just a way for worlds to come together. You know, you get that yeah. you have the the academic, you know, just the, the learned painting techniques. That's what mm-hmm. it is. I think people want that. But then you have tackle contemporary issues. You can tackle imaginary issues, you know, but you add this kind of, you know, unreal aspect to it to make it more interesting well and why not i mean really why not 
you yeah. know, um, I was just having a discussion with someone not that long ago about that and about um, like with the impressionists, you know, my argument is like, well, the camera didn't ruin it, but can't the camera allow them to go out and do experimentation? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, to kind of bring it back home, it's like the camera really was there, yes, but it wasn't fully developed. Right. But we both kind of hit on almost, we both kind of agreed that it's like it was science that basically allowed them to kind of make it their own and use science as a way to help them explore some of their ideas. Right. And it's kind of bringing it up to today. It's basically, uh, we use, we're still using the science, but now we're using more of our, our imaginative sides and brains to help kind of bring out things that people relate to. A lot of the paintings that you do uh, are, are classic and feel, but they're also very modern and you're using modern symbols that people can pick up on. Yeah, uh, that's good. Yeah, it creates a dialogue. Right. That's what... You know, if you want me to get into my spiel about why I think realism, like the reason. Well, is, yes. Is, yes, uh, I do want you to go into your spiel. <laughs> you know, what the, you, you mentioned the dialogue aspect. And this is what, starting in the 50s in this country is when, uh, you know, the modern, really modern teaching took over. You know, up until then, even MICA, the Maryland Institute College of Art, was a classical program up until the 50s. Because Ann Schuler, my teacher, taught there. Yeah. <laughs> she went there. It was a classical program. And it switched. They just they made a, a conscious effort to or decision to make a more modern program, which means more conceptual, more theoretical stuff instead yeah. of learning how to draw. Uh, what it did was almost every decade, it kind of made the art world a much more insular world. You know, it created its own dialogue, and the only way you could learn that dialogue is to go to school and learn the dialogue. That's There's all true. these like catchphrases that you hear when yeah. artists talk. And so it's learned dialogue. And the thing that I hear or have heard for years from everybody is, you know, I don't know anything about art, but I like your art. Yep. And it hurts me because art's one of the most instinctual things that we have. From a little baby, what's the first thing you do? You grab crayons and you're scribbling, you're making stuff. You know, make, that's yeah. what happens. It's instinctual to do it. And what the art world did, unfortunately, was it put itself on an island and a lot of people thought they were just a bunch of oddballs and because of the prices for this oddball art it became you know it just wasn't accepted which is why arts get cut from all the schools they don't see it as a viable part of society because it's this little insular thing and so i think what realism does is it creates it bridges that gap yeah it brings it back it brings it back because anybody you know you know what it looks like. That's plain and simple what it is. But they can relate to it. Right. Whether they get it conceptually, they can still relate to it in their own way. They don't have to know the flash words of art talk to talk about a painting. They can say, I like that because the sky is really pretty and it looks really good with this figure. Conceptually, the artist might be talking about the coming apocalypse and all this. Right, but or they don't the environment know. dying. Yeah. But this person can relate to it. So, it's it's a starting point exactly yeah. and this is like i'm gonna hit on this we when you were setting up and we mentioned thomas kincaid yeah again you know not necessarily a fan of his artwork but i am a 100 percent supporter for what he did to art he bridged that gap he yeah. made art that was relatable to everybody i mean there were cheesy little hobbit villages at sunset but some average person even if they say, I'm going to go to Walmart and buy this print, they're going there to buy art. <laughs> they're going and there to buy art. They're yeah. going to buy art, and they're going to frame it and hang it on their wall. The most depressing thing in the world for me is when I walk into a house and there's nothing on the wall. 
Mm-hmm. I'm like, what's going on? I mean, how can you live like this? So even if somebody comes in and they, you know, have a shrine built around a Thomas Kincaid painting hanging the wall, I'm like, that's awesome. <laughs> because you liked art. And I think that's what needs to happen. I think that it needs to become part of everyone's life again. It needs to become part of society again so that, you know, they can survive, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I wouldn't say it'd survive, yeah. I, I would say more or less... a little drastic, but... Well, I, no, I... <laughs> it just, I think that art fulfills life. You know, I think that's pretty, you know, anybody that is in the arts say that's a very fulfilling thing. I... Well, I, I concur. And so it's almost like, you know, when people don't like art, it's like hearing them say, I don't like music. Yeah. And you never hear someone say, I just don't like music. Right. And that's what, like, when somebody says, I don't like art or I don't understand it, that's what it feels like to me. I'm like, oh, that's really Yeah, it's painful. like you just stabbed you in the kidney. Exactly. Yeah. And so I want it to be, you know, I think that what the current movement's doing is just making it so that everyone can at least say, I like that. You know, what? well, and you don't necessarily have to have the artist statement right next to the painting. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm not dissing artist statements completely, but the fact of the matter is, is that this day and age, with this high concept art that they're calling it, you have to have basically um, previous knowledge, like you said, of art history and also uh, art dialogue already. Mm-hmm. And for someone, uh, an outsider, so to speak, who hasn't had a chance to study and learn all the stuff like you and I had, are basically just going to walk around and go, okay, why are those bricks stacked around a circle? I can do that at home. <laughs> right. And it's like, but you and I know the true reason for that. It's about form. It's about composition in the space. I can go all day on it. But the fact of the matter is, is that we've kind of lost a good chunk of, of at least of an American um, appreciation for art. Yeah, It hurts. It hurts our society because, yeah. like I said, they the arts are always the first thing to go. Yep. And I think it's because they don't see it as a contributing part of society like science and math. They say science and math, oh, that you're going to use that. They're not sitting there saying, you're going to use art, but obviously people use art every day. They just don't know it. They just don't know it. <laughs> exactly. And... I mean, designers, I mean, the best scientists are, you know, usually have an artistic, creative brain. So... It's not just about drawings. Teaches you, well, spatial thinking. It thinks yeah, about right. uh, perspectives. Yeah, exactly. And so, I think that you know, art was its own worst enemy for a long time. In yeah. my opinion. Yeah. And like I said, I think that what's happening now is a reaction to all of that. With what happened with the art world, what happened with artists outside of the art world just not being able to find a place. You know, I'm able to make a living. Because I paint things that look like things, and you like to paint things that look like things. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, yeah, because you, you're like you said, is like there was kind of, um, you know, back in the, I guess the early and mid '90s or so, that was that movement of quote unquote lowbrow art that started to use highly illustrative stuff, but yet realistic and understanding, and it was mm-hmm. t- still able to tell a story. Right. And um, then it started kind of just fading into basically or feeding into what we're like you said we're heading into now but for all those other people out there there are some people who love the high concept artwork yeah. and nothing is wrong with that i have no problem with that yeah, me neither. i myself too sometimes like to read a good mystery and that's <laughs> kind of how I, I feel about it you know when you look at a painting that you may not fully understand or even a realistic painting they are telling a story they are basically a way of of deciphering a mystery you know it's like you just you only have certain clues to go off of and then you have to use your internal uh, sherlock holmes to basically <laughs> do the deduction to figure out what the artist is saying and doing 
Yeah, and it's I I love modern art too. One of my favorite artists is Basquiat. I'm gonna show Basquiat. Yeah, Basquiat. I could stare at his paintings like endlessly. I'm trying to think of like a modern contemporary. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, well, one of the more mainstream guys yeah. would be like Coons. As I an think example. that, like yeah. you know, as the reason I can appreciate that is because I have an appreciation of art, right? right? So if you bring art back to everybody, I think that it'll benefit all forms of art again. I I, I agree. I will concur on that. And and the thing <laughs> is too is that there's also a certain element of of understanding it too because in terms of a, a craftsmanship, oh, you know. Yeah. Because uh, you've had training and learned a craftsmanship on your own level in your own right. And then uh, with the high concept stuff, too, you have to view it from, especially from a perspective like ours, is uh, uh, through basically a craftsmanship. Because mm-hmm. a lot of the modern high concept stuff nowadays is moving towards the shiny, flashy things of video and things like that. And I do think that's a great place for that to go. Yeah. And there is a lot of dialogue going on now about that. There is a show that is currently up that the, that the museum, this, uh, excuse me, this one gallery uh, is dealing with is uh, the artist is dealing with basically how uh, pharmaceutical companies and basically visual media is trying to uh, uh, hack our brains into having a more pleasurable life. Hmm. And uh, that is something that's very interesting and another great dialogue to have. Yeah, yeah. And um, you can find that here in, in your work as well. I mean, you're having a different kind of conversation as... Uh, like with a lot of your still work, or still life, I, I get this impression of looking at them and it just makes you slow down. Yes. I always like to describe my paintings if I had to, you know, do it. They're always before words or in between words. That's kind of the feel I always wanted. So when I do a figurative work, I always want it to seem like, you know, they just said something or they're just about to say something. And with my still lives, it's that same thing. I want this kind of like, it just got quiet for this second. And then, you know, you start hearing like the noise of it. Right. So, yeah, it's a uh, an ambiance, I guess. <laughs> no, it, it's sometimes hard to pull off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I will admit. All right. So what advice would you give artists and or to your past self? Aha. Uh, draw more. That's like the number one thing, especially my past self. Especially when I was younger. I mean, I did draw a lot when I was younger. There was like a dry period in high school where I was much more interested. I played football. Uh, much more interested in playing football. Hold on a second. You, you do not look like a football player. Yeah, that's what everybody says. <laughs> yeah, I played football. Um, I was very, very... Uh, the reason I came to Shepherd was to play football. Yeah. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. You became very woke at that point. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it goes back to what I was saying. My dad was a coach. You know, I didn't mention that. he was a, a teacher and a coach. And so, you know, that's why I was like, I thought I was going to be an art teacher. I'd probably coach. You know, that was like the the path I thought was going for me. You had the plan. Yeah. And I came up for the training camp at Shepherd, And, uh, you know, the same thing. I just had this realization. I was like, I don't. You know, there's no way that I'll ever do anything with this. And once I realized how much time it was going to take, I was like, and it was, again, it was probably the first time, like, I was like, I'm not going to be able to draw. I'm not going to be able to paint as much. And so I was like, I can't do this. Yeah. And so, you know, and then it was, you know, the education, I had to get out of the whole education department. But so, yeah, um, they go back, uh, draw. I mean, there was in high school where, you know, I just probably didn't draw as much as I could because drawing is 
probably the best thing anybody can do for themselves. I, I agree, and I think it's a great foundation. It, I mean, totally. I, That's what they used to consider part of a classical education, not art, drawing. Yeah. Just learning how to draw. It just helps you, like, compose thoughts. In and hand-eye coordination. Hand-eye coordination. And to see. To see, yeah, you know, it just, and it also helps you organize things. You know, how you organize a drawing. You can't just come in there and, ah, uh, you got to have some kind of plan. No, you do. I and agree. so uh, I would say that uh, no, ma <laughs> no matter how much you're drawing, you're probably not drawing enough, I guess. Yeah, I, I still, to this day, make sure I dedicate 30 minutes of drawing. I mean, if people... Uh, dedicate 30 minutes to an hour to exercising. It's the same thing. It's just exercising with your brain, eye, and hand, opposed to with your, your brains and lungs and <laughs> the other parts of the body. And then I guess probably the, the other piece of advice I'd give people, and especially my current self and my younger self, is, uh, and this is kind of cheesy, but I do believe this, is that you kind of have to have a little bit of faith you know, not heavenly faith, just like if this is the path you're going to be on, things are going to work themselves out. And if you have dedicated yourself to it, and by dedicate, I mean that you've decided that you're going to work as much as you can to make this happen. Yep. Not sit back and say, I want to be an artist and then wait for something to come to you, but to sit there and work and work and work and work and just have the faith that it's all going to like, you know, it's all going to come out for you, I guess, you know, that's, and I think that a lot of times, and this is why I say I got to tell it to my current self too, uh, you know, stress is a motivation killer. And so if you carry the stress with you all the time, it starts to hinder your work. And so you have to have this ability to just be like, you know, when things don't go right, just to be like, you know what, something else is going to happen. Right. And, you know, you just, it's kind of like a, you know, a dumb blind faith that this is the path that you were supposed to go on. And until, you know, something comes and smacks you in the face and says, you know, you're gonna need, you need to turn around, you know, <laughs> just to do it, you know, just to like, you know, if you work hard enough, and that's the thing, I don't think most people know how to work at art sometimes. Um, that I, I, I don't, I mean, I want to agree. I mean, there are people <laughs> out there that uh, I know who could work harder. A lot of times, and I hear this, uh, Sometimes, you know, Emily teaches children's classes, and so I hear this. His fiance, by the way. Yeah. So I hear, you know, I hear every once in a while, you know, things like, uh, you know, this, this one girl, what did she say? Something like, she was watching me paint. She came in, she was watching me paint. She said that, uh, she asked me, I think, what advice I give her. And I was like, you need to draw all the time, draw every single day, even if it's for five minutes, sit down and draw. And she's like, well, I don't, you know, sometimes I think that if I don't want to do it, that that will destroy my motivation for wanting to do it or some like convoluted. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, so, what? yeah, exactly. You know, she was basically saying that, you know, if she draws when she's not motivated, that that's going to hurt her motivation for wanting to draw because. What kind of logic is that? Well, it's, yeah, it's not very clear. She was a kid. Okay, well, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, that's what it is. You know, it's it's sitting down when you don't want to do it. It's like literally oh, yeah. no, treating it like a job. It's yeah. like, you know, I say that I'm not every, I don't wake up every day being like, man, I can't wait to get in the studio. Oh, boy, I can't wait to do more. Yeah. But I wake up every day saying, I have to get into the studio. I have to go to work. And so, uh, yeah, it's just, 
barreling down and working. It, it is work. I mean, at the end of the day, because like a lot of people always tell me that, you know, it's like it's some kind of glamorous lifestyle. And it's like, no, it's yeah. not. It's yeah, it's just not. as painful as you working at the, the, the corporate bank. Yeah. yeah. And to go along with this, like my favorite quote of and I say this to my students all the time is from uh, Chuck Close. You know, he said, amateurs say that they wait for inspiration to work. Artists work for inspiration. And so I've carried that with me. It's like, you know, I get inspired usually when I'm working on something. An idea comes to me for my next project while I'm working. Yeah. Usually if I'm just sitting there, and I trust me, I enjoy just sitting there. I do believe that you need to sit on a hill and zone out for, yeah. you know, a couple hours. Well, people call that <laughs> meditating. but Meditating, yeah, well, yeah, I sit under a tree. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, uh, you do. You have to just, it's work. And so it's literally, you get up, you work, and you may not want to work every day, but it does, it becomes something that you can't live without. And that's what art should be. I, yeah, I concur with that. So let's kind of uh, change gears here a little bit. Thanks for the advice. And, um, <laughs> that was for all the children listening. For all, yeah, for all the kids out there. Um, all right. So, um, I, I kind of want to move on to, uh, the, the Badger Hound Gallery and Studio. How did the Badger Hound Gallery start and, and why did you do it? Uh, the, probably the seed for wanting to do this was uh, planted by Ann Schuler when I was at school. She used to tell me, because it was an atelier. And so, you know, there's a difference between, you know, uh, an art school, university, that type of stuff, and an atelier. Yep. So an atelier is, you know, a very structured traditional way of learning how to paint or sculpt where you start with drawing you draw 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 cast drawing still life drawing figure drawing portrait drawing everything's drawing and then you progress into painting and or sculpture uh, and it's the way you know art was taught for many many years um, and it's usually in another artist studio because that's what atelier means artist studio so when I was at Schuler's, Anne always used to tell me that I had to open up an, an atelier uh, in West Virginia. And that kind of like planned the seed where I was like, yeah, I think I will. And then after I left Schuler's, my studio was up in my attic at my house and I'd have students come over because I always taught. I always liked teaching. I, you know, I come by it honestly because both my parents are teachers. Um, and because of the tradition associated with this, I always thought that teaching was actually a part of it. Like you have to pass on hmm. what you know because that's yeah. how you keep things going. How to paint was lost in the first half of the 20th century. People didn't know how to paint. They had to relearn it. That's why I say that David LaFell, Richard, they were kind of like the torchbearers. They yeah. kept it alive. The illustrators, early il illustrators, N.C. Wyeth, oh, yeah. uh, Payne yep. was his first name. But, yeah, they kept painting alive. Anyway, <laughs> um, so yeah, so I, I would have students come up into my studio, which was in the attic. They would sit there and I would sit here and we would paint. And I did that. I would have two, sometimes three students a day, could only have one person up there at a time. So I, was, so I had people up there like six to nine hours a day sometimes, five days a week. Wow. Yeah, it got to that point. Yeah. And so I got really, one, I got really tired of being... Uh, right next to <laughs> my students for so long. Right. And I finally, the space opened up, and I decided that it was time to go. 
Um, in I West had, Virginia's oldest town, by the way. Yeah, in West Virginia's oldest town. And I just live right outside of town. And so, you know, I was literally, I was walking down the street and I was frustrated because what was happening was I wasn't working as much because I was just having students with me all the time and it was really hard for me to get into something because I was always stopping. And so projects were just dragging out and I was losing interest. And so I was walking down the street, saw the for rent sign, immediately called the person. It was pretty cheap. And so I got it and it was this attic. Like I remember when people used to live in it. <laughs> it wasn't a storefront. It was like an attic apartment. And so it was weird, but I liked it because I liked weird spaces. And so that was like the initial jump. And it wasn't the badger hound yet. It was just my studio. I just decided I needed to move my studio out of the house, needed room for my students. Uh, and it was good for that. And I was there for a year and quickly learned that I needed a bigger space. And... Emily was teaching children's art classes, but she was doing it out of the bookstore. I was like, we need to do this. We're finally going to, you know, join forces. Join. <laughs> like Voltron, huh? <laughs> and it was the same thing. You know, this thought was in my head, and I was like, we need to get out of here. We need to get out of here. And I've been walking past this space, and it, there was a four rent sign for like a couple months. Yeah. It wasn't going. You know, every time I walked by, I'd look in the windows. And then finally one day, I was just like, I'm going to do it. So I called, and... We moved in here, and so this is the kind of the first stage of the the grand plan. Because my goal is to have the first kind of certified atelier in West Virginia. I want an atelier, and I want to do it here because I like Shepherdstown. And so this space isn't necessarily perfect for what we want because we can't be open while we do lessons. Emily usually has kids in here right now. And so... Uh, you know, the ultimate goal is that I have students that want to learn this classical approach and that it's actual program, like a four-year program, and you kind of work through it. And the idea with Emily, and she's already got some very talented private students, is that it kind of becomes like a feeder. Yeah. She kind of starts rearing these kids, and when they turn 18, 16, if they're really good, they can start taking lessons from me. And so it kind of goes by with what I'm saying about making, you know, I do think that art has a, I don't want to say a responsibility to society, but... No, I will. I, I think it does have a because responsibility. Because it, it contributes so much to it the does. betterment of people's lives. Even if it's like really weird art, it makes life better. Even if it's just <laughs> something on the bus stop exactly. uh, poster. Exactly. And so it's really good to see these kids, and she has a few of them that like doing, you know, the approach that I do and they want to do cast drawings. Like that dude, you know, she had a student in here the other night doing the cast drawing of the nose and she's, yeah. you know, 11 or 12 years old. And so that's how it starts. That's where the change happens because you're, you know, hopefully they have kids. Get them hooked young. Exactly. Yeah, no, you got to. You got to. <laughs> and Shepherdstown's a great place because, uh, you know, the town. The town. Is really good in terms of supporting the Oh, did I mention it was the oldest town in West Virginia? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I can run down all the Shepherdstown fun facts for you. So uh, you actually knocked out two questions with that. Oh. Two points. Good, sir. <laughs> Could you give me the gallery hours? Okay, so because it's not the most ideal spot, we aren't open as a gallery uh, during the week. So we're open as a gallery Friday through Sunday. 
Friday and Saturday, 10 to 10 to five. We do stay open later in the summer when it starts to people are out in the evenings. So chase the sun. Yeah. But we say 10 to five. If you definitely want to get us come 10 to five, but right. Might be open. Uh, And then Sunday, 11 to four. Anytime in between, you can always contact oh, us. Make an, yeah, make an appointment to come in. The other days of the week, you know, I teach my lessons. Emily teaches lessons, and you know, I'm in there working every day. Yeah, literally, I didn't pull you out of there yeah. to do this interview. <laughs> I'm not joking. So, uh, is there any questions I should have asked, but I didn't? I don't know. I don't think so. Doing a demo. Because oh. <laughs> I, I don't know what. Well, it it's kind of hard to do demo on radio. Yeah. True. Or, it's the weirdest weird thing. When I do a demo, uh, when I'm just standing up and I have to talk to people, I like I draw a blank. I get kind of nervous and I'm like, I have no idea. But as soon as I sit down and start to work, it like just opens up the floodgates and it's hmm. like, oh, all right. Now I That's can, interesting. Like, yeah, it's yeah. just the way you're wired, I guess. Yeah. I you know, I don't I don't feel comfortable talking in front of people most of the time. So when I'm working, it's kind of like it's a, a distraction for it's the a, other hemisphere. Exactly. It's like, you know how they always say that people pay attention better when they doodle? Yeah, oh, I do. That's oh, yeah. the same thing with, like, I can converse better with people sometimes when I'm, like, when I'm painting. Oh, yeah, I get in trouble. I just, <laughs> so I get in trouble for that. You know, it's like, are you listening to me? It's like, yes, I am, as a matter of fact. <laughs> Why are you drawing me like that? <laughs> That's when I get the real trouble. Well, uh, thank you very much, sir, for taking your time out to uh, from your painting and um, your busy schedule to do this interview with me. I appreciate it. Yeah, this was great. I appreciate it. Well, thank you. <laughs> I want to say thank you to Michael Timothy Davis for taking the time for the interview. If you want to learn more information about Michael, you can go to his website at michaeltimothydavis.com. And you can also go to Michael's Instagram page at michaeltdavis.fineart or his Facebook page at michael.davis.art. And don't forget to check out our website at artboxdnv.com to hear full-length episodes and past episodes. Go to mixcloud.com and search for Artbox in the DNV. Our Instagram page is artboxdnv and our Twitter handle is at artdnv. Until next time, thank you for listening.